Thanks for joining me. You're listening to the Semitic Jew podcast. In this two-part mini-series, I will deal with the nomenclature behind the name Semitic Jew in two parts. This episode will cover three general objectives, the definition of Semitic, Semitic people, and finally, we will examine how the usage of the term is not even close to what it was used in antiquity, in biblical times, etc. Let's get started. First, let's set the stage with the word of God. I want to draw your attention to two passages. One is in Psalms and the other is in Proverbs. Psalms 21, or excuse me, Psalms 24, verse 1. Psalms 24 and verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Keep this precept in mind as we go along, because according to this precept, everything we see, everything you see, no matter what inventions men make, no matter what new thing appears to come forth, all of it belongs to God. Everything, including words and languages and people. The next precept I want to look at is is found in Proverbs verse 25, or excuse me, Proverbs chapter 25 and verse two. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. It's natural for us as future kings to search for the glory of God hidden in his word and hidden throughout creation. We can call this searching for the divine in everything, which is basically what we're going to be doing today. So those precepts, I hope, will lay the foundation for these arguments that we're going to bring forth to demonstrate to you, the audience, what it meant to be Semitic then and how that term is actually being used today. First of all, I want to begin with a simple logical analogy that I hope you can follow. Um, The logical analogy goes like this. Shem is to Shemites as Shemites is to Shemitic as Shemitic is to Semitic. Okay. Now you might be thinking, what is this guy talking about? You may not even know what those terms mean, but if you read the Bible, um, you may have heard the term or the word Shem before. Now, Christianity, Judaism, and Muslims will tell you, you know, it doesn't matter who you are, nationally speaking. What matters is what you do. Now, if you listen to that argument closely, that that argument doesn't make sense at all. Because essentially what they're saying, if we use it, if we apply that same reasoning to God is, it doesn't matter who God is. It just matters what God does. It's the same. It's the same logical fallacy that the nations use when they say that all roads lead to heaven. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And we're going to demonstrate that. In Genesis 5, verse 23, we see the name of Shem appear for the first time in Scripture. It reads, Noah was 500 years old, and he begot Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, these verses occur on the eve of the global uh, global flood, and we read in Genesis chapter 6 how the the world was wicked before God and God called Noah and eventually um, destroyed the earth 
excuse me, destroy all plants, all animals, and all of mankind in the earth at the time. The only people who remained were Noah and his wife, Shem, Ham, and Japheth and their wives. And it is through those people that the earth was repopulated under the Noahic covenant. God had re reestablished the uh, original mandate that he had given to Adam and Eve with Noah, which is why we call it the Noahic covenant. And it is through um, Shem, Ham, and Japheth that the rest of the earth's population from the from the time after the global flood to today is was repopulated. I hope you caught that. Now, I won't get into Shem's history. And when I say I won't get into Shem's history, I'm not going to mention all of his descendants. Okay. That's for another time. But we're going to look at um, some extra biblical sources uh, to prove who his descendants are. And but we want to we wanted to begin with, with scripture to let you know that here at Semitic Jew, um, everything that we do is grounded in scripture. Um, the authority and the authority of God is grounded in scripture and the authority of everything that we believe is also grounded in scripture. We're going to use extra biblical sources to make our stance, but that's essentially secondary for those who don't believe the Bible. Okay. So if you have if you have read the Bible, especially the Old Testament, you'll see suffixes like "ites," all right, and it's usually applied. Excuse me, and it's exclusively applied to people groups. It'll be like it's the equivalent of calling someone today like kinfolk, right? Like that's my kinfolk, which means um, you know y'all are cousins or y'all are related somehow. So. If we if we go back to Shem, Ham, and Japheth, Ham's descendants will be called Hamites. Japh, Japheth, his descendants will be called Japhites. And finally, Shem, his descendants will be called Shemites. And they're essentially, the kinfolks are offsprings of those men and their wives. Notice I said people, though. Okay? Notice I said people. So Shem's children would generally be called Shemites. This goes for Shem's descendants. You can read about their names in Genesis chapter 11, verses 10 through 26. Again, that's Genesis chapter 11, verses 10 through 26. So from Shem to Shemites, we are exclusively dealing with people. Now those, now those people have customs, languages, etc. And those would be consistent with that which is known of Shem, logically speaking especially considering the Israelites sprang forth from Shem. So the logical progression goes Shem, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Jacob would, whose name later became Israel, begot 12 sons, all of which became known as the 12 tribes of Israel. Now we're going to revisit that in episode two, um, who the Jews are, who the Israelites are, etc., And ultimately the reason why I started this podcast. Now, from Shem, from now uh, jumping from Shem to Shemites, okay, we're going to look at the other part of the analogy, Shemitic to Semitic, okay. So I want you to know that those terms are exclusively dealing with language, and I'm going to get into why that doesn't necessarily make sense. So if you research the term Shemitic, you will find the term at some point strictly be- beginning to be denoted as someone who spoke a Hamito-Semitic or Hamite Shemitic or Afro-Asiatic language. 
Okay. And if you Google the term right now, you'll find that, that it's exclusively referring to Afro-Asiatic language speakers. Now, you get, this is not considering um, the migratory patterns of people because the people who are living in those, uh, those, uh, on those continents now, um, some of them are not Afro-Asiatic or some of them are not um, Hamite or Semitic. Okay. So I want you to let that sink in for a moment. All right. Um, and you may have not heard those terms before Hamido, Semitic or Hamite, Shemitic or Afro-Asiatic. All those terms are basically, um, one-to-one. They go together. Hamite and Shemite are basically equivalent to Afro-Asiatic. So what used to refer to a people is now denoting only a language. What's up with that? Okay, so we're going to investigate this. We're going to find out why this changed, just not in this episode. I just want to show you how there was a logical change and a logical difference between um, Shem and then how we got to this point now with the term Semitic and how it's only referring to language and it doesn't give justice to a people who basically come from Shem. So again, logically speaking, this creates a limited choice fallacy because people move. If you have a biological born, um, for example, if you have a, a biologically born Chinese person, okay, who is born to English speaking parents living in the United States, let's say they choose not to teach their children, their biological language. Those people are still Chinese, although they may use the language of, of Englishmen. Okay. So someone can't see them and say, so suppose you were running across, you know, a Chinese person in Walmart and, um, and based on face value alone, you may say, Hey, that person's Chinese or that person's a Moabite, right? You may look at them and say, Oh, that's a Moab. I mean, that's a, a person, um, who was a descendant of Moabites. Okay. But they may speak, they may speak a Grecian tongue, right? But it doesn't change that they're a Moabite. You see where I'm going with this? So those people are still Chinese, although they may use the language of, of English people. And so the same is true of sin of Shem's descendants. If you take into consideration whether or not his descendants went into slavery, but began speaking another language that is not their own, then, then does this mean that they're no longer Shemites? <laughs> I hope you can see that this doesn't make any sense. Now, who are the Semitic people? Now, this is, when you're creating a podcast, you may say, man, there's so much to talk about. Essentially, there is because everything is like a can of worms. But I want to try to narrow things up, uh, 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 bring things into focus so that we can stay on topic and and just look at the facts and then we can revisit the the rabbit holes later. So that's essentially what we're going to do here. Um, so Semitic people, let's open a source written by the Zondervan Publishing Company, a well-known Christian publishing, a, a well-known Christian publishing company, which was founded in 1931 in Grand Rapids, Michigan. This source is titled The New Compact Bible Dictionary, which was published in 1967. So this is, I mean, it's basically during the Martin Luther King era. 
here on page 213, we read the definition of ham. Ham, the reason we are reading the definition of ham is because Christians and so-called white people and other academic Bible scholars will suggest that so-called African-Americans are Hamites. And it's just not the case. So-called African-Americans are actually Shemites. Watch this. Page 213, I quote, Ham means hot. He was the youngest son of Noah, born about 96 years before the flood, and one of the eight people to live throughout the flood. He became the progenitor. Progenitor means he was their grandfather of the dark races, not the Negroes, but the Egyptians, Ethiopians, Libyans, and Canaanites. Genesis 10, verse 6 through 20, end quote. So clear as day, Negroes are not Hamites. So this begs the question, if Negroes are not Hamites, then they either must be Shemites or Japhites, right? Let's get another source. This source is titled The Black Image in the White Mind, written by George M. Fredrickson, end quote. In Crania Egyptica, published in 1844, Mort. Morton points out that both the cranial and, and archaeological evidence showed that the Egyptians were not Negroes. Pause. So in other words, the Egyptians were not Hamites. Or excuse me, the, um, the Egyptians, the Negroes, sorry, the Negroes were not Hamites. Picking up. As abolitionists and colonizationists had maintained, and that in fact blacks had been relegated to the same servile position in ancient Egypt as in modern America, end quote. Now, of course, these are people who interpreted this evidence and ran with the belief so-called blacks must have been cursed, etc. So they, um, they, uh, it was okay for them to be, to go into slavery and all of that. There's other instances where the Israelites were mistaken for Egyptians, just like this author. Moses grew up in an Egyptian palace, and as we saw earlier, the Egyptians were Hamites. It goes without saying the Egyptians, aka Hamites, knew who they were, and the Hebrews, Shemites, knew who they were. They could distinguish between each other but other people could not distinguish between them, much like calling Negroes Africans. Isn't that ironic? Egyptians could tell the difference between themselves and the Hebrews. You can see that in Exodus chapter one. And the Hebrews could tell the difference between themselves and the Egyptians. You can see that in Exodus uh, two or chapter two, verse 12. In fact, verse 11 and 12. Let me get that. And it came to pass, verse 11, and it came to pass, Exodus 2, verse 11 and 12. And it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown, that he went out unto his brethren. So Moses obviously knew that although he grew up and was raised as an Egyptian in the household of the Egyptians, looking like the Egyptians, he knew that he was not an Egyptian. He knew that his brethren were Hebrews. And he looked on their burdens and he spied an Egyptian smiting a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he saw 
um, one of these Egyptians being extremely aggressive and abusing another Hebrew. And he looked this way and that way. And when he saw that there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hid the man in the sand. The Egyptian is in Hebrews saw a distinction between themselves based upon dress and culture primarily. Appearance-wise, they could not distinguish between each other. Other nations could not distinguish between, excuse me, um, so they could distinguish between each other, but other nations could not distinguish between them. Here's proof. Uh, For example, the Midianite girls whose flocks were given water told their father, Ruel, in Exodus 2, verse 19, Again, that's Exodus 2, verse 19, we read, and they said, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and also drew water water enough for us and watered the flock. They were referring to Moses. This incident occurred over and over again throughout scripture. Genesis 50, verse 11, the Canaanite inhabitants believed everyone with Joseph was an Egyptian and could not distinguish um, the Hebrews accompanying the Egyptians from from the Egyptians. In the New Testament, Paul the Apostle was was mistaken as an Egyptian. In Acts, uh, we read about that in Acts 38. Again, that's Acts chapter 21, verse 38. We read, um, Art not thou that Egyptian, which before these days made us an uproar and and lead out into the wilderness 4,000 men that were murderers? So here we see there are examples found in the Old Testament and the New Testament that people were having trouble distinguishing the Hamites from the Shemites. Much like it's it was it's impossible to some degree to distinguish Africans Africans from Negroes, but we are not the same. The last source in this section is a work written by J. A. Rogers. Um, the title is known as is called uh, Nature Knows No Color Line. And we're going to look at a few pages. I believe these pages are coming from uh, 129 and 130. If you follow me on Twitter, um, that handle is Semitic underscore Jew. And inbox me, I'll send you a PDF file of that of this book and show you how to locate um, these particular pages. So I just want to quote, um, Waits said, an interesting gradation of all shades down to the black is exhibited by the Jews page 31. So notice the racial bias. He says down to the black, not up to the black, demonstrating to you all, we are not going to shield you from the historical bias that we find in these sources. The author Waits obviously felt black was the bottom versus white being at the top. Um, Just to point that out. Continuing on, uh, exclusive, uh, especially, quote, especially dark were the Jews of Spain and Portugal. The Portuguese Jews were very dark, says Pritchard, page 31. The Duchess, a wife of Napoleon, uh, excuse me, Napoleon's ambassador, uh, the, the ambassador to Portugal said, quote, the Jew, the Negro and the Portuguese could be seen in a single person. Page 32. To put this in everyday vernacular so we can keep up. If someone was looking at me, they'd say the Jew, the Negro, the American citizen. It's the same concept. This draws a distinction between 
Jews being considered white only, right? The Israelites were dark people and they could not be distinguished from Egyptians, which were Hamite people. All right, I'm just going to say that again. So, so this draws a distinction between the Jews being considered white because we, we can say the Israelites were dark people and they were, they were not to be distinguished from the Egyptians or Hamite people. They essentially had the same phenotype. They looked the same, essentially. Those sources were quoted from much earlier works, the ones I mentioned from Nature Knows No Color Line when blacks were in captivity. Okay. So just keep that in mind. Again, if you need that resource, um, just, uh, follow me on Twitter and I'll get that resource to you. Um, in fact, those, those, uh, citations were taken from earlier works. For example, Pritchard, uh, JC Pritchard, he wrote a book titled, um, uh, natural history of man. And you can read that quotation that I took from page 145 um, that was published in 1845. And then the other work written by uh, T. Waits, um, the title is known as the Introduction to Anthropology. You can find um, those citations on page 47 and 48, and that's an 1863 publish, uh, publication. So these works were published um, either before or during the Civil War, which is astonishing. And they're talking about the Negroes being Jews. Now, we have many, many more sources which prove the Negroes are, in fact, the children of Shem and the children of Jacob and, in fact, the children of Israel. So if you're listening to this podcast, just know you are called an African-American and a Negro and a black or color person. Um, you are, in fact, actually an Israelite, according to the Bible. So according to these few historical sources I've just brought out as well, guess what? There's more, but for now, let's move on. So we proved already how the name Shem and the word Shemites are connected. Now we're, uh, and excuse me. So we proved already how the name Shem and the word Shemites are connected. They are connected to the people who were children and grandchildren of Shem. Now let's examine the term today. The term today, Shemitic and Semitic, usually denotes the languages of Afro-Asiatic people groups, which I mentioned earlier. So logically, if this is referring to the language which a people group speaks, this does not denote that those same people are, in fact, descendants of Shem. To put this another way, um, you can speak a Semitic tongue and not be a Shemite. Nevertheless, we are taught today that the term is used exclusively of those who speak Hebrew, Arabic, Aramaic, Phoenician, and Akkadian. It's simply not fair to limit the definition of Semitic to those who speak a Semitic language. It creates a limited choice of fallacy. And if you know anything about logic, um, or if you don't know anything about logic, um, a limited choice fallacy is when we argue, um, and I'm going to put it in context. So um, the reason this is a fallacy is because when we argue against some uh, Semitic meaning people, languages, and culture, or when we argue against it meaning Shem's descendants, because it's only true when those people speak a Semitic tongue, thereby making themselves Shemites. 
Okay. So that was a lot. So um, to kind of put it in a different way, if, if people go around arguing and saying, well, you don't speak Hebrew. Well, and, and because you don't speak Hebrew, therefore you're not a Semitic people. That makes absolutely no sense. You see the limited choice fallacy because um, it's not taking into consideration the, all, all of the possibilities of Shem's descendants. Like what happened to the Israelites? What happened to Esau's children? What happened to the Ishmaelites, etc.? All of those people are considered Semitic, right? But there are people who come from those individuals who may not speak a Semitic tongue today. So we can't necessarily say that they aren't Semitic just because they don't speak a Semitic language. They have, they may have moved uh, to a different geographic language, as I mentioned about the Chinese reference, or um, even me. I'm not, um, although I came over here and the Native Americans were here first, I don't speak a, uh, a native tongue. Okay, It's the same thing. So in today's world, um, words are changing. And people are changing those words to mean what they want them to mean. The meaning they are ascribing to them are, are um, the meaning they're ascribing to those words are usually grounded in some form of political power move. Um, it's never used or grounded in scripture. Um, nevertheless, ultimately, um, God determines how those words should be used. Because as we saw in the beginning, Psalms 21 excuse me, Psalms 24 and verse one, it's, it's, it's up to God to basically decide how a word is used. And it's up to the righteous. Uh, those of you who are listening to this podcast to say something about it. And we need to use our resources and our voice to combat the wickedness in the earth against God's righteous elect against the children of the most high God. I would like to leave you with this, Joshua 1, 9, Joshua 1, verse 9. We read, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Although in context, this was written to Joshua, we can expect the provisions to apply to us as descendants and children of the Most High God. So do not let others tell you what people group you belong to. There is plenty of evidence out here which points to you being a blood descendant of Jacob, therefore an Israelite. Just to sum things up, so we've examined various scriptures to prove what Semitic meant then, which is people, their customs, languages, etc., um, those people groups were indistinguishable from so-called black people and were in fact black people or indistinguishable from Hamites. Although the term is used um, to primarily refer to languages only today, um, it, by doing so, it creates a limited choice fallacy. Um, in the final episode of this mini series, we will discuss the word Jew and how the Negroes today are actually the biblical descendants of the Jews of the Bible. If you're watching on YouTube, remember to like, share, and subscribe. If you're listening to, if you're listening in podcast form, please do the same. Follow me on Twitter. I engage with everyone who will lend me their time. I'm signing off. As always, all praises, all honor, and all glory to the Most High. Shalom. Mm-hmm.